to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjuris, and this is the second duet of the year that I am hosting. I have two really lovely guests, uh, Fanny Priest and Aaron Fairchild, and I'm going to introduce them And then I'm going to make a few announcements, and then we will listen to their duet. So Fanny Priest is a trauma repair and grief coach, a queer, polyamorous, and liberated fat femme, a rainbow forest witch, a Sagittarian sun, Cancer moon, Taurus rising, and an aspiring Guns N' Roses cover band drummer. She helps healers, feelers, queers, and creatives repair the rupture in the relationship with their wild, true nature so they can feel safe with their bodies, feelings, and needs, and can transform their old survival patterns of protection into liberatory patterns of connection. Fanny's favorite duets are Leather and Lace by Stevie Nicks and Don Henley and I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warns. I think Fanny is lovely, and I also would encourage you all to check the show notes for information about how to connect with Fanny, in particular to sign up for Fanny's resourced Substack, and there is a link in the show notes. Okay, so on to Aaron. Aaron Fairchild is the founder of Journal as Altar and Collective Action Consulting. A few years back, Aaron realized that her journals acted as altars in her life, and that felt really powerful. Journal as Altar was born. Teaching creative journaling workshops, designing and selling stationary products, and running the Journal as Altar Substack community are endlessly affirming. Erin is also a social worker and not currently practicing therapist with expertise related to childhood trauma, attachment, and preventing violence in systems, communities, and families. Erin continues to work in the fields of equity-centered trauma-informed care and violence prevention at Collective Action Counseling. Erin knows that your journals can hold you, but they hold nothing against you. Erin's favorite duet, is Aretha Franklin and George Michael singing, I Knew You Were Waiting For Me. You should also check out the music video, which brought back a lot of memories for me when I revisited it. Erin also has a cool offering, some cool offerings, um, including the December 30th workshop, Your Journal Can Be an Altar, New Year's Intentions. And the registration links are in the show notes for all things Aaron and Fanny. So a few more offerings to consider. This is just a cornucopia of options of things that you can sign up for or be inspired by or choose to ignore. Um, But I hope you don't ignore these. A few more offerings that I'm facilitating, or in the case of 
the Kintsugi Therapist Collective co-facilitating. So two really exciting things. Kintsugi Therapist Collective is now enrolling our spring 2023 embodied private practice cohort. This private practice cohort is a year-long mentorship offering for clinicians who are beginning or revisioning private practice with a focus on embodiment and sustainability. This program is focused on centering and valuing the unique experiences and challenges of therapists with lived experience of chronic illness, disability, mental illness, trauma, and oppression, with expansive thinking about an active undoing of the harm caused by the well provider or unwell patient binary expectation in mental health and wellness fields. The deadline to apply is February for an April start. Past programs have filled with a waiting list, so we encourage you to apply early. Um, you can go to kintsugitherapistcollective.com. You can follow the link in my Instagram bio. And I hope you consider passing this along to your favorite therapist or care worker. And it is our hope that it is a support to many. So for those of you who are not able to commit to the year-long program, KTC is also hosting a virtual weekend retreat in the spring for therapists, somatic practitioners, and other aligned healthcare practitioners. Mending with Gold is a virtual retreat with a concentrated and highly personalized curriculum designed to support care workers. We hope to challenge the unrealistic expectations of the care work industrial complex, nurture pathways for reconnecting with pleasure, and develop enlivening professional practices and strategies. The retreat is going to be held on March 3rd through 5th and is partially enrolled. You can head over to kintsugitherapistcollective.com to register. I think it will be a really nourishing weekend for all of us and a much needed space of support for care workers. I'm going to share one lovely reflection about KTC from a current collective member. And these testimonials really warm my heart and make me feel good about what I'm doing. Um, so I'm going to share this with you. Engagement with the Kintsugi Therapist Collective in their second embodied private practice cohort has connected me to community in ways I didn't even know were possible. I am non-binary, neurodivergent, and chronically ill therapist serving predominantly queer and trans individuals in the state of Florida. Being welcomed into the collective and meeting other dynamic and similarly positioned therapists has felt like the first place I can find solidarity and acceptance for all my intersecting identities within a professional network. The care and love that Onyx and Asher demonstrate through nearly every interaction has created a space for therapists like me to breathe, discuss our experiences, and recalibrate our bodies. KTC is a labor of love an answer to my prayers, and a diverse community I am so fortunate to be a part of. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Danny. That is really just, it made me really smile just reading that out loud. Um, all of this is to say, okay, KTC is pretty great and I'm pretty proud to be part of it all. I hope you consider sharing about these programs um, because we are a new business and 
spreading the word is the best way to, um, to connect with folks. So thank you. So the last thing, and then we'll be on to the duet. I recently announced the theme of embodied testimony this year, and it is sick and tired. That's the vibe. I know so many of us want to feel less alone in our sick and tiredness. So let's do it together. I'm enrolling now um, for this three-month intensive. It's aimed at engaging with people who live with chronic illness, chronic pain, chronic uncertainty or disability, and the care workers who support sick and tired people. If you have experienced periods of what Jessica Linyadu calls inflammation explosions, then this is the program for you. Embodied Testimony 2023 will draw on audio, written, visual narratives related to deep questions about sick bodies as the ground for group discussion and personal inquiry. You can find a link to enroll in the show notes in my Instagram bio or at livinginthisqueerbody.com. The deadline to apply is January 20th. I hope to see some alums and new folks there. Okay. Thank you for listening to all of these offerings. I hope they are a benefit to many. On to the duet with Fanny and Aaron. It's a really sweet one. Hi, Fanny. <laughs> Hi, Erin. It's so good to see you. I'm so happy to see you again and to be connecting in this way. It's exciting. I like it's, our duet. I do. I love our duet. I love our duet. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. How is it feeling in your body today? What is it like to be in your body? today? I love this question. Um, I have like the the practical sort of like immediate answer, which is that I was um, putting some bulbs in the ground this morning when it was like 38 degrees outside. I dug a giant trench and put, I don't know, like 150 bulbs, I think in the ground. And um, so all my extremities are still freezing. My butt is really cold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my butt is like a magnet for um, the cold, which is great. Um, And it's warming up right now. So I feel that sort of like grateful that I got to have that time outside and then my body let me do that. Um, and that kind of actually, actually, um, makes me think of more in the, I don't know if it's esoteric, but the sort of maybe more global or just going a layer deeper about how I feel my body lately, which has actually come out a lot in my journaling practice, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, creative practice and journaling today, but, um, is just sort of what it has been like to be socialized as a fat person in a queer body and, all of the separation that has all of the forces that have kind of acted in my life to keep me really separated from being embodied and present um, in this fat queer body is really kind of, um, I don't know, just sort of surfacing in new ways that are feeling uh, much better to me lately. Like just the act of intentionally thinking about noticing and naming all the things that try to keep me separated from being present in my body and just trying to get more, um, just more attuned to how I actually feel in my body instead of just sort of disassociating. (laughs) Um, So 
um, yeah, I'm feeling like just curious about being more present in my body and, um, and being gentle to myself for the fact that I've been so separated from it because of all the things that led me there. How about you? Um, I'm feeling pretty good in my body today. Like it's a good, good body day. I'm a little hyper. Um, I went to Target already today, which is a lot of being out in the world and seeing right. bodies and being seen by bodies. And um, yeah, um, but yeah, today's a good day. I, I'm not a person who is well all of the time. I've got assorted pain and mm-hmm. digestion and just, you know, fatigue of being a middle-aged person <laughs> in, <laughs> you know, like in sort of, you know, societal decay. Um, but today is good. And I think that, you know, similarly to you in terms of putting how I feel today in their greater context, you know, the last, you know, for me, since I was going to say the last two years, but it's about to be three years, which (laughs) is wild. But I, um, I, I broke my ankle just before the start of the pandemic. And so that was kind of like a double lockdown sort of for me, like a double whammy of stuff happening to my body. And my body really hasn't been the same since at all. It's kind of like a brand new body. And the place that I'm landing, sort of like learning what it's like to have much less capacity than I used to have and a really different relationship with food because my digestion has really changed, which has kind of led me to the place of this kind of both and, right, of it doesn't mean that I always feel badly. And so when I have a good day, like I try to really notice, right, like what it's like to have a good day, what it was like to be able to go to Target and do a variety of things and still have the energy to be in this conversation. Um, Yeah, I think that for me, you know, and big ditto to everything that you said about, you know, being socialized into, you know, a fat queer body. Um, I think that this, this holding of the both and, right? Like I noticed for me that when I'm less resourced and kind of less skillful, you know, with my, you know, patterns and so forth there's this sense of like oh my gosh when I don't feel good it's like it's always going to feel this way like it's always going to feel this bad and what does that mean for the rest of my life and that kind of anxiety and realizing that like no it doesn't have to be that way it can very much be this both and in this dance of okay some days are really not good at all some days are kind of meh you know some seasons are kind of meh but there are also some spontaneously good days in there too I'm glad that today is a spontaneously good day. Me too. Me too. Um, Can I ask what bulbs you put in the ground? (laughs) Um, I put in a bunch of um, daffodil varieties and I kind of went overboard with really um, hyper-focusing on kind of like unusual or off the beaten path varieties of (laughs) daffodils and tulips. Like I love parrot tulips. I love frilly tulips. I like the flowers that honestly, I feel like I just started gardening in the past like year and a half. And there's so much around flowers that remind me of queerness, honestly, like the, the vibrancy and the color and the expansiveness. Uh, I often like sometimes in the summer when I'm gardening, I think, or in the spring when the bulbs are up, I think 
the garden is like a riot of color. And I literally have been just doing a lot of like connecting with plants in this way. That's like, to me, I don't think it's like an original thought, but I, and I love it. It's sort of a collective thing is that um, connecting with the vibrancy and creativity in nature and particularly in flowers feels to me like, like the universe or spirit or God or whatever you, if you have any kind of higher power you're connected to is like proof that gender expansiveness and queerness is um, holy and sacred. And so I am really into getting the most interesting and colorful varieties of bulbs. So I got tulips and daffodils and some wood hyacinths and alliums and I think a different kind of variety of hyacinth. I think that's what I put in today. I'm, I dumped them into a big pile and then just random put them all into a, into a dugout area. So they'll be all mixed together. We'll see. It's also kind of like, I like to be, I mean, I, I can say all these sort of witchy things about nature, but I'm also in a little bit of a battle with squirrels because they, <laughs> they, they, they take everything I love for me. So we'll see how they, how these hold up. There's a lot of chicken wire under the ground at my house. <laughs> right. I wonder like in the, like, who are the squirrels in the metaphor of all of these frilly bulbs being like the gender yes. expansive, like fabulous gays, like the squirrel. Well, I don't know the squirrel. squirrels. <laughs> I was going to say they're like, don't say gay um, legislation, but that's not fair to the squirrels actually. It's <laughs> not. Also, that. I mean, like I, it was, oh, this was my, with my husband, we, um, my husband's an arborist. He works for the city here in Austin. And so he's a tree person, but he looks at trees like a little bit differently than I do. Like looking at trees as like a working arborist is a very different thing than looking at trees as like mm-hmm. a tree hugging, like nature slut, witch. <laughs> and so we, we have this tree in our backyard, this beautiful red oak, and there was a squirrel nest which was directly above our table. And so there was constantly like little bits of debris falling from the nest onto the table. And then the squirrels started um, like gathering, like started digging into our, like our hammock and the pillow hammock and pulling out some of the filling oh, to bring onto his nest. And <laughs> like my husband is like, I'm going to cut that, tr- that nest out of the tree. And for me, I'm like, but that's his little home. And in my head, it's like, the squirrel is not intruding into my habitat so much as I'm intruding in the <laughs> yeah. squirrel's habitat. And so, you know, it's kind of like fair game, you know, like you, like we bury bulbs in the ground where squirrels keep their food. <laughs> no, <it's> like, <laughs> I mean, true. There's also yeah. people in my neighborhood who leave shelled peanuts out for squirrels. So there's um, peanuts and peanut shells all over. <laughs> Every time I dig up some, the ground to put something in, I find peanut um, casings which just kind of makes me laugh. And I'm trying to be in a, you know, a, a more unified symbiotic relationship with the squirrels through protecting my bulbs and, you know, whatever. And also I do um, shake my fist at squirrels a lot. It's just, I actually, where I sit and work, uh, I, there's a window in front of me and I look right out into the garden that I just planted this last year. And last year I put about 75 crocus bulbs in the ground and as I was sitting in Zoom meetings, right out past my computer in my field of vision, while I'm presenting or teaching or, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing, I see squirrels digging, digging up these crocuses and beheading them. And, um, you know, just daily, it was like they were taunting me anyway. I'm not going to, I don't want to um, spiral too far into my squirrel <laughs> lady um, persona, but... <laughs> 
Do you garden it's, at all? And you're I used to. I used to big time. And then yeah, everything. Oh man, I'm I'm feeling the prickles coming behind the my eyes with this question. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, we're we're in some territory already. Um yeah, so I used to live. So you're in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, Portland, and Oregon. I I'm originally from Montreal in Quebec. And then um I moved to Texas 15 years ago, but before moving to Texas, I lived in Victoria, British Columbia. So also in the Pacific Northwest. So, and that was my first home away from my parents' home and is still sort of my spiritual home. And so before moving to Texas 15 years ago, I was a big time into gardening. It was mostly like gardening in pots because all I had was like a little balcony, but I was super into it, like super into it. I had my herbs out there and I was like growing all kinds of flowers and bulbs and so forth. Um, and then I was also spending like all of this time outside and walking on all these trails that were near my house. And when I moved to Texas, all of that abruptly stopped because just the environment here is just feels pretty hostile to me. Like it's very dry, it's very arid um, and it's extremely hot in the summer and the ground is just different. and Everything is different. And so I used to, you know, and I come from people who garden, like my people have worked the earth for, you know, 500 years on Turtle Island um, in one way or another. And so my, and my parents both garden. And so I very much come from that tradition and I just really haven't touched it. And I'm trying to get back into it, but I have, it, it's funny. Cause you were talking about when I asked you about your body earlier, you were talking about planting bulbs and you said something along the lines of like your body, let you do it. And I thought that that was like a really kind of interesting phrasing because for me, I think that right now, this sort of apprenticeship with my body over the last couple of years of what am I able to do? What am I not able to do? Where, how that line shifts from day to day and also what my perception of that line is, which is probably actually the most relevant of all of these factors. There's this sense of like, oh, this isn't for me anymore. Mm. Right. And so it kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of sitting and holding both this desire because, you know, of kind of like becoming clearer about my witch path, like over the last four to five years and being clear more and more that, you know, I'm, my field is trauma healing and trauma repair and being clear and clearer that really where that brings us back to is our relationship to the earth and our relationship to nature and kind of thinking about like, okay, that means plants and home is plants and you know, like came across the term plant sisters for the first time, you know, like a few weeks ago and kind of thinking, oh, I really want to get back into literally my roots, right? Which is kind of gardening, but then also having all of this resistance coming up. And we have a huge, well, not huge, but fairly huge garden, like my husband gardens and stuff. So there's like, there's plenty of room to do it, but I have like a lot of, there's a lot of fear, right? That my body's mm -hmm. saying like, oh yeah, no, we don't have the capacity to get on the ground and, you know, mm -hmm. dig and plant 150 bulbs. And I wouldn't plant that many bulbs out here because it's Texas, the ground barely freezes. So there's not really a point to it, mm -hmm. but I'm just, yeah, like there's a big, there is a, a big sort of like block or something in the way of, of me doing that. Um, well, it so sounds there's a, like, 
So, oh, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you, go excited. Ahead, no, you go ahead. Um, it sounds like there's a, there's like a, you're in a transitional space or you're really like the, the relationship to gardening is in a transformative space with the land itself and the condition, the environmental condition and your body. And that, that is a lot to um, sort through. I could understand certainly feeling a little like I need to have the internal reserves to do this sort of shift. Um, yeah, it's, I've, I've been cluing sort of more and more to like, okay, what are, what are the, what are the shame stories? What are the trauma stories in my body? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and a big one is um, this kind of push pull of feeling that a thing is for me and which gardening is one of those things. Um, We may or may not get into this, but I've started drumming in the last, a last year and a half. And, and that's another thing that's like, I really want it. Like, it feels like it's for me. And yet I have this fear that like my body won't let me do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the place where there's starting to be some, some room around that is kind of realizing like, okay, like I don't, I don't need to choose one or the other. It's not going to be one or the other, right. It's going to be both like, this is for me. And also it feels scary because of the limitations of my body. But something that's been a big theme for me this year is, is pace and honoring the slowness of pace, mm-hmm. right? And I think that if, when there's a sense of urgency of like, I need to get into gardening, you know, like when you get excited about something, you're like, I need mm-hmm. to get into gardening and I need to do all of this stuff. That becomes overwhelming to my system really quickly because it's like, okay, we're going to put too much demands on this mm-hmm. system. And really cluing into how a bedrock bedrock story for me is in terms of my nervous system is we need to conserve energy. Like there's not like we need to conserve energy, just constant fear of I'm going to be too tired. Like I'm going to get to the end of my reserves and I'm not fully sure kind of where that comes from, but the more that I can say, the more that I can give myself space, right. To say like, well, it doesn't need to be you plant like 50 different species of, you know, (laughs) like herbal plants and, you know, like native flowering species and so forth. Like you can start with a pot, like you can, Mm -hmm. you know, like if I allow myself to kind of start small and move slowly, it starts to open up space around so that I can kind of like hold those, those contradictions, right? Like hold the, like not be in this binary, but hold the both and, which is a, a big common theme for you and I, that's right. And I also love the idea of finding expansiveness in the small and mm-hmm. like, where is their expansion in space in um, taking a bite-sized chunk out of, <laughs> yeah. out of whatever it could be. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's interesting to think about. And, and it immediately makes me feel, um, about whatever it could be about anything that someone's interested in or needs to get done, wants to get done, but thinking about that way immediately feels like less pressure. There is just so much pressure, um, in this life to create metrics of success around everything that you do. And I think, right. And I think gardening you know, I really didn't anticipate that we would be nerding out about gardening in this conversation, but here we me are. Neither. Um, I'm really happy that we are. <laughs> um, and, you know, for me, like I, uh, I have, my mom is, I, I, 
Mm-mm. How can I do this? Tell this without being like extremely long-winded in the storytelling, but my mom is an incredible gardener and uh, I come from a working class family that doesn't have a lot of financial stability, no generational wealth, and also seeing my fam- my parents pour their soul into the land that they are stewards of and that they, the, the way that they live um, with gardening it has always been fascinating and something I admire about them, but my personality is such that I've also always been like, I don't garden, right? Like my mom's a massage therapist and I actually kind of don't like getting massages. It's like, just, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm just an obstinate person in some ways sometimes. And I've always sort of been like, gardening is not my thing. Um, and then it's just so very me, but also just noteworthy that I feel like just as the climate crisis is tipping into this very noticeable, you can't avoid it anymore point mm-hmm. where I actually think the guard, our gardening zone in Portland is going to change because it's staying hotter longer and our winters are getting more extreme. So I think, you know, the perennials that I have now may not be successful in a couple of years because the climate's changing. Mm-hmm. It, so it's very interesting to be starting this when all this is happening. And it also was a very um, pointed decision I made because I started, I mean, I honestly, I started kind of facing my parents' mortality a little bit and um, through a couple of different things that happened. And I thought I would like to try gardening while my mom is still alive so that we can interact yeah. with mm-hmm. the art of gardening because it's so important to her. It is like, actually, that's one of the hardest things for her in aging is like um, having to mod- make lots of modifications in what she's able to do. Yeah. Um, and so I just really wanted to get some things in the ground that she could interact with so that when she's not here anymore, I see these plants outside that my mom touched. That's kind of what drove me to it. And it really took that larger, um, I don't, that, that larger um, connection for me to, to want to even try to garden. And then also my personality is I'm like to the conversation earlier about pressure and metrics is I'm like a very, once I'm in, I'm in. And I kind of just like, I'm like, Oh, I, I started without not gardening at all. And then I just spent months ordering and I have like 300 and bolt. Like who does that? <laughs> like I don't, I don't garden until now I have 300 bulbs I need to put in the ground or, you know, however I can get extreme, but I have to really just constantly remind myself um, that this is all creativity. It's all an experiment. It's all a really, I'm in a relationship with so many things in my life. They're not definitive. I'm just in relationship with these things that I'm doing. And I don't even need to have metrics of success. If the plants live, that's beautiful. And I have so much gratitude. I want them to live, but you know. Yeah. I, yeah. And this makes me think too about a lot of the way that we're talking about gardening right now really is the same way that you talk about creativity and journaling. And you've been such a muse and such an inspiration for me in that. But one of the things that you say over and over that I love so much is this, this is a freedom project. And, you know, I remind myself of that when I work in my journals and when I work in any creative thing, but I think that I, I need to bring that into kind of my relationship with nature and my relationship with gardening. I think that there's still for me like this, this metric of success, right? Like, I think it has a lot to do too with like, you know, Instagram and this culture that we have of always seeing like the inspiration porn, which is like, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to sort of be down on that. So like for me, the shape that it takes is, you know, I am 
longing for the Pacific Northwest, but it really doesn't have to be the Pacific, just anywhere where ferns grow in the understory of a forest, which is not (laughs) the case here in Texas, right? It's just so, and it's nature and it's still beautiful, but like, I just, I've had to really, after 15 years, I finally admitting to myself, like the land doesn't talk to me here. Like it does Mm -hmm. in more temperate environments. And so the shape that it takes for me is like watching a lot of videos of people who are like hiking in the Pacific Northwest or whatever, because that's, what I miss and what I long for, but then kind of holding that as the metric of what, what a person who is in touch with nature is or does, right. Is like, well, they live in a cottage and they grow all of these plants and they're, you know, walking in the forest and those things are not accessible to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's forests that are accessible, but for a long time, it was really hard to walk and now I actually can walk, but I still have a lot of internal resistance because like, what if I get hurt and what if I get mm-hmm. tired and kind of bringing this idea of like the, the freedom project is that like, it doesn't like, like you said, like my relationship to nature is really a relationship and it's between me and nature and like nobody else gets to decide or to determine what that looks like. And it's weird because for a really long time, I was like really thinking, I really need to be hiking. I really need to be in like actual woods. And over the course of the pandemic, like I have such a deep relationship with the trees in my backyard. Like they, like they have held me like so closely. Um, And yeah, I think that bringing this idea of not having these metrics of success, and this is a freedom project into relationship with nature, which is like, Nobody else gets to decide like how close and how intimate this relationship is. And because I don't have all of these things to show, like these long hikes in the woods and Mm -hmm. this like thriving, you know, like, you know, like local, you know, local plant species garden, like even if I don't have those things, like my relationship Mm -hmm. is still really valid and really nourishing. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, I say, I say, I'm just thinking of the conversations that my, my, partner and I have had, like thinking about them saying to me, like when I have said, well, I'm, I'm frustrated that the garden that we just planted eight months ago, doesn't look like a 20 year established garden. I mean, I'm not even saying it in that coherent way, but just like, how come my garden doesn't look like that? So I'm saying all of these things. And I'm also in my life actively saying, I wish my garden looked like someone else's. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 um, the, the reality of that just sort of being the way we constantly engage, I think with creativity is a little bit, that's part of the relationship is sometimes the relationship I have is critical and comparing to other people. And Mm. then sometimes when I'm able to access maybe a little more grounded perspective, or I don't even, I hate to even put judgment to it, but just there's also times when I can step back and say, um, the stakes don't need to be that high. That's also something Mm -hmm. I say a lot now about my creative practice is like, the stakes don't have to be that high. And sometimes it feels good and sometimes it doesn't. And that just is, it just is. Um, and I also, um, have a tendency to, to be quote unquote success driven. So it's all of these things at once, you know, it's all, (laughs) all of it. Yeah. All at once. And I, the thing I think about too, is like, we, you know, you and I both really, um, get a kick out of the really sensory aspect of journaling, right? Like the, 
the playing with the supplies and, you know, for me, like color is a big thing that attracts me and like the, you know, the feeling of pen on paper. Um, and I've been kind of more and more thinking about creative practice being really not almost at all about what the finished product is, but like how it feels in our bodies mm -hmm. when we're actually interacting with our supplies and, mm -hmm. and, and, and with our journals and stuff. And this totally applies to gardening, right? Like the point of gardening is just to like have your hands in the dirt. And I mean, sure, it's a lot of money if, if squirrels eat all of these bulbs, but at the same time, even if they don't come up, like, the experience of choosing them of you know like receiving them and dreaming about them and being outside and putting them in the ground like none of that can be taken away from you you know mm -hmm. and all of that is really meaningful and rich experiences mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i'm wondering too if maybe we should talk a little bit about journaling more in depth just so because yeah. we're referencing it so easily yes. people listening might not know kind of what we're talking about, but, um, and then I also think another, so there's that on my mind. And I also think we both have this commonality of doing work related to trauma and healing mm -hmm. and bodies. And so, um, that's also on my mind, but I want, maybe yeah. it would be helpful if I share a little bit about, um, how, cause it is also how we came to know each other. It's how we, yes, absolutely. Media. So yeah. So please talk about journal as alter. <laughs> And, oh, thank you for that invitation that I set up and asked you, walked you into. <laughs> I mean, um, like you literally like put like two of my favorite words, like in the <laughs> entire world together. And I was like, journal is alter. Like, that's all I needed to hear to be like all in. <laughs> and then, so, yes, please talk. Oh, about thank it. you. It's always validating to hear because it, it, for some, it's kind of an abstract it, it, concept. How, you know, however. Um, yeah. So I um, I have a creative journaling business which is a, is really like my secondary source of income. My primary income comes through consulting around issues related to trauma and systems and violence prevention and a kind of variety of um, social justice and healing work for organizations and communities. And um, that's a story for another time. But then I also have this um, creative journaling business, which is um, more and more merging with the other, that other part of my business that I just spoke about, which I'm starting to do a lot more facilitated team retreats um, and wellness, sort of staff wellness for people who do trauma work through creative practice. So that's been incredibly um, fun for me and kind of a dream. But Journal's Alter is the journaling business, but it's really more about a business, more than, um, than it is about a business. It's about this idea that I started realizing the way I was working in my journals um, a while back, years ago, they, they started feeling like alters to me, like alters to possibility, alters to intention, um, me wanting to take responsibility for things in my life, um, that I was just putting a lot of, um, of myself into my journal and the process of, do, of making pages and journals, what I was writing about, what I was creating, it started to just feel like a different manifestation of a physical alter. And the idea that I could take it with me mm. places really um, felt powerful. And so Journals Alter is just about the idea of keeping journals um, and and the act of keeping the journal as an altar, almost being like a pathway or a portal um, to healing through a creative practice and recognizing how how um, when things like perfectionism and comparing and binary thinking and 
um, you know, those voices in your head that tell you that you're not good enough or that you have to buy certain things or your work has to, or I think a big common theme that acts as a creative block to people, whether it's journaling or anything is that unless what you're creating is, um, could be sold to someone, if it's not like fiscally viable, then it doesn't have value, um, is something that can act as a block, I think in this extremely capitalist world and how it all intertwines with white supremacy can just be such a block to um, accessing deeper knowing we might have about how we want to be creative. And so that's kind of what the concept of journalist alter is about is I teach lots of workshops related to journaling, but the deeper current is really more about um, recognizing how binary thinking holds us up and supremacy thinking holds us up and how we can engage in a creative practice that makes it more about a freedom project like you were referencing and not a pass or fail assignment. So that's kind of where um, Journal's Alter lives now. It's in multiple, you know, there's, I'm exploring a lot of new ways of connecting with people about the concept. I love holding space for people who are exploring their creativity and that they know it has a spiritual component. Um, and all of those things that you said um, about how it feels to have a pen in your hand, how it feels to have paint in your hand, how it feels to have a pastel in your hand, um, how it feels. I mean, I'm just going to say it. Sometimes I feel embarrassed, but how it feels to have a sticker in your hand or a rubber yes. stamp, even though mm-hmm. I design and sell those things. There's still this little voice in my head actively that's like, that's not art, though. That's like a scrapbook craft. And so I'm, I design and sell these things still have to kind of like, I'm like, well, the pastel is higher brow than the, you know, um, and that's just me being real about where this all lands. But anyway, so I'm curious to hear from you about your journaling practice and what it's been like for you lately. And I think it's very much related to the conversation about gardening and nature. It is. And so, you know, I'm a lifelong journaler in the sense that like I've done, but I've done the kind of journal that the journaling that is more kind of like your morning pages kind of journal, just kind of like longhand three pages. And I've been doing that for like 20 plus years of my life, you know, like just a really long time. I was always really attracted by visual journaling, like art journals, art journals. So like, you know, like way, way back in the day, like, you know, books by Sark, <laughs> or, you know, like Natalie Goldberg's books mm-hmm. about um, sketching and so mm-hmm. forth. Artists sketch were always love were really appealing to me. And also, like, I'm one of those. Be- and I don't you know, I don't mind saying this. Like, I'm just not I'm not a visual artist in that way. Like, I don't have a lot of natural affinity for drawing, sketching, those kinds of things. And and that was very much for a long time, like. Oh, this is a good reflection for me. It was very much one of those things that felt like I feel really attracted to this in the sense that this feels like it's for me. And also at the same time, it feels like I wouldn't be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And it started for me um, with um, my pal Molly of the Darling Revolution, who is an artist. Um, early in the pandemic, there's this um, there's this community called um forget what they're called. They do like a daily mandala practice. Um, Our mandala universes, I think is what it's called. We can have that in the show notes, but essentially it was like early, early in the pandemic. We're talking like March, April of 2020 um, gathering with people on Instagram in the morning and to just the idea is you just make a circle and you 
color in or fill in a circle and that's your mandala for the day. And so I started with this like little mini moleskin journal and a bunch of like colored pens, pencils that I borrowed from my partner who's got an art degree. And like, I realized that like, I, that was one of the things, like I remember like early pandemic with like my ankle all bandaged up and like mm-hmm. having to have like, um, like one of those big, like external braces that I'd put on mm-hmm. to move. And like, you know, like in those days where we were watching like um, the, like, is it like the Tiger King? Like, remember like the first thing that everybody watched oh, at the beginning Lord, of the pandemic? Yes. But so I remember like this feeling of like, I had this little journal and I had these colored pencils and I was started putting the colored pencils like in, in order of rainbow, in rainbow order. And that felt so soothing, like profoundly soothing to my nervous system. And this is a thing that I had, you know, progressively learned to really pay attention to, like when Mm -hmm. those things are very soothing. And so it started like that. And then it kind of like played around at some point I bought a traveler's notebook, like um, my first one and started messing around in it. And I started buying some paint, started to get into some like nice paints, like the case for making uh-huh. watercolors and stuff. And put a link there as well. <laughs> yeah. Put a link there as well. But it was kind of like, a, it was an in and out. Like I would touch into it. I would kind of find a little bit of a language and a flow with it. And then it would move away. And then early this year, I had this sense of like, I don't know, it just things clicked kind of like all of a sudden. And I kind of like developed the practice that I have now. And and I think that from a trauma repair angle, it works to me in in two big ways. And the first way is, and I'm sure I know that this is the case for you too, that you and I, like we loved stationary supplies mm-hmm. as a kid, Oh yeah, right? Like <laughs> trapper keepers and Mr. Sketch pens and, um, and all of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So it works in a trauma repair way in the sense of like with my adult brain and with also my adult like finances, my adult paychecks, like being able to buy my inner child, all of the supplies and really protect a space Mm -hmm. where she can, and you use that word experimenting earlier. And I think that this is one of the big things that trauma really robs us is this ability to play and to experiment and to just see what happens if I try this. Mm -hmm. And so journals really kind of like gives me, like my journals give me a place to experiment with that. Um, and, and experimenting too, like I'm thinking about the, um, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of misrepresent this quote, but I think it's a Tony Cade Bambera quote of like the role of the artist is to make mm-hmm. the revolution irresistible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is where like in a low stakes way, like he said, like playing around with these stickers and these stamps really helps us imagine what a different way of being in these bodies and what a different way of being in the world is. And then also as somebody like you who holds space for trauma, like in, you know, in the course Mm -hmm. of my work, giving me a place to kind of land and play and, and, and get, and get resource again. And for me, it is very much like a, it's a spiritual practice. It's a connection with spirit and with source that happens when I'm messing around with my journals and my pens and my supplies. And and so that's why the concept of altar like really resonates for me because it is really a spiritual practice. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking too about um, the reminder of um, 
you know, being in this queer body and thinking about that sort of married to journaling is um, I, I'm reminded of uh, when I, I've spoken with you about this before, but when I was probably in about third or fourth grade, I got my first diary. It was a little diary with a lock and a key, like a literal lock and key. I had a little teddy bear on, on the front. Um, I can still see, I actually still have it. Um, and there are, I, um, I have been in a fat body in a way that society noticed and named and told me that I was since about that time. That's about my body started changing. And, um, uh, it was just a big source of pain for a long time, not so much because of how I felt about it, but because of what I was, how I was made to feel about it. So I, you know, I experienced a lot of pretty intense bullying for being fat from the ages of like fourth grade to eight, fourth to eighth grade, fourth to seventh grade. And it was pretty consistent. And it was like, I was publicly the butt of jokes a lot at school in a small rural town. And, you know, there, I'm, I was about to compare my trauma to other people's and I actually don't need to do that. It just is what it was. Um, and, and it was, it was difficult and shapes so much of my experience today and really impacts me, you know, the act of me wanting to be more connected and embodied as a, a fat woman, as a fat queer woman is really um, just a, a gift that I'm grateful to be leaning towards now in this phase of my life. At the time, though, in fourth grade, in this diary, I have all these pages where I was writing about how um, I would never be asked to a dance, which was like what I was seeing happening in movies. Like, you know, like you watch movies in the 80s and like that's a big deal in high school. So I'm never going to get asked to a dance here. All the girls who are prettier than me. I made a list of the girls who are prettier than me. I was saying things like and this I hope this isn't like <laughs> might bring people into reactivity. It's a lot to take in. But I was writing things like. I'm, I'm not lovable. Um, and I wish that my body was different. And for me, the fact that I have that diary, that I wrote those things when I was young and that I still have that diary and that I'm I've always been a very active journal and diary writer. I created a world for myself in my diaries that, um, that I called them diaries at the time that was crucial to my survival. And I also, um, during that time stayed inside recess because I, most of the torment happened at recess, I, there were me and two other also girls, um, you know, I'm not sure what their gender is now, but at the time we were all girls and um, we were all getting bullied quite a bit. And we had like a little trading station where we stayed in the classroom at recess and it, we were too young to say it was because we were hiding from bullies. Uh, so our, we had like a job to do, and that was to trade everything that we, every Sanrio item that we could assemble, <laughs> um, which was a big deal because I also grew up without a lot of money. So it was like items that were hard earned that were so precious to me. And we would stay in the classroom and just have our safe space of trading stickers and erasers. And in the eighties, erasers were a big fucking deal. They were like, they really were unicorns and ice cream cones and you know, anyway, have, so like, literally have them like right around me right now. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Those, those erasers were a big deal. So being in that space of having those things in my hands with a teacher who cared about us and other people who were living through something similar just carries a weight to me that I knew I wasn't alone in. And there are people who are obsessed with journaling. And there are also people who are interested in healing and bringing a justice and a liberation lens, even the act of like cutting and pasting. And I'm here for that. 
I just love that so much. And the thing that I'm really present to is, um, and this is not the first time I've heard you say, tell this story, but I'm still delighted to hear it. It makes me so happy. And I'm really present to, you know, part of what I often do, like in my, in my coaching work is, you know, when, as we're reflecting both on, on, on past trauma is also reflecting on past resource. Right. And like, what, what were the things that, that helped you make it through? And I'm really present to the ways in which you and those, you know, those, those girls, those pals um, naturally created, you know, community care Mm -hmm. for yourself. And this sense of like, it really mirrors to me, like what we're trying to do today, like in our, in our queer community and our disabled community and so forth, which is like, we're not going to wait for the world to take care of us. We're going to take care of each other. And then also, like you said, like you created a world for yourself in these journals and like quite literally journals give us a place to put these feelings that maybe we don't have somebody safe that we can say that stuff to, but we have like our journals who are like, you know, like real beings to me, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, journals become kind of like these, these friends, these people, Mm -hmm. you know, like these, these beings that you can have a relationship with and Mm -hmm. just like how cool. I just kind of think about like little, like you say, like you were in sixth grade or seventh grade or whatever, like, but like, what would little Erin think about Mm -hmm. you running journals alter as a business now? (laughs) Like how thrilled, right? Would she be? Yeah. I mean, me at that age, I really wanted to be a singer. Um, and I used to, to, this is actually, if we can bring, bring us home with this, it's lighten things up a bit, but I, um, was an interesting kid because I was simultaneously bullied, but also loved the stage, loved acting, loved singing. So it was like this just interesting mix of like, I, I was really suffering and also I was pretty flamboyant, um, and didn't have words yet for being queer, but you look back. I was going to ask. Yeah. You can see yeah, it. You're just like, oh, I was so gay and I had no clue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I um used to walk when I walked home, I would sing. I would sing out loud because I was hoping that there was an agent somewhere in oh my, my small gosh. town. Oh, my gosh. I love you so much. That's amazing. Cast me in something. That's amazing. I relate to that experience. I mean, imagine so much. being bullied and still. I mean, it, I just was like you know, nothing, no one deserves to be bullied. And that doesn't make me a target. And it's also an interesting combination to be like, I'm actively being harassed, but I'm also, I think um, there's queerness in that to me. Yeah. There's, that's definitely a both and kind of thing, right? Like you're just like, yeah. What were some of the things that you were like, who are you obsessed with? Oh my God. Um, I was obsessed with Whitney Houston, who now I, I claim as a queer ancestor now that we know more about her life. <laughs> um, and who are you? Who are you obsessed with? Madonna. Madonna. Oh, just yeah. Madonna. She was she was my goddess, like <laughs> through and through a thousand percent. Yes. Amen. What a great <laughs> note to like kind of wind us down on Whitney and Madonna. I know. Yes. Yeah. Definitely bringing in our our, our queer den mothers and ancestors <laughs> and so forth. I love that queer den mothers. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I happen to, um, I know I'm just jumping right in, but I also really loved Whitney so much and Mm -hmm. the idea of, yeah, the idea of, (laughs) of, of expecting a potential agent to, 
to discover you is just really, I do, I agree. There's something so queer about that. Like there's something <laughs> like you knew something about, uh, I don't know, bringing attention to yourself in a really generative, creative way. Um, well, I also was very much like, I can't wait to get out of this small town. They can't hold my brilliance. <laughs> my gosh. I mean, gosh, yeah. Yes. You had a lot of, sounds like you, you both did, had a lot of wisdom. Um, yeah. 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 I love what you said, um, Fanny, about like reflecting on past traumas, reflecting on past resourcing. That's mm -hmm. just like really feels like a real through line in this conversation. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Um, and I wish we could, you know, have this conversation go on and on but i do think that it sounds like there is some version of this conversation kind of ongoing with mm -hmm. both of you and through the ways that your work kind of and by work i just mean the work you do in the world the ways mm -hmm. that people can can be with you um that there is there are like access points for other people if they're interested in in kind of um almost like jumping in on this conversation so um i i really appreciate you being so open and sharing and being willing to duet um on living this queer body because that's a that's a like i think it's i was just picturing aaron like the little version of you um like jumping in and be like, yeah, I'll do the duet. Yes. You know, and <laughs> you know, like I can sing, I'll be, I'll do it. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of having this image of little versions of both of you kind of doing your, your duet together. Um, yeah, I, I am loving this image. Like I, if, if somebody is listening to this and who has some skills in like drawing likenesses of people, like if we could have like somebody draw the two of us like singing in our hairbrushes in our bedrooms <laughs> i mean whitney houston be astounding very cute resourcing ourselves yeah yeah i love that well thank you so much for taking the time and um i'm really excited for folks to, to be able to acquaint themselves with your with you and your stories. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to have this this lovely conversation that feels really cozy with like your warm voice and presence, like holding space for us. So thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And thanks, Fanny, for all the work that you do in the world. I'm also really excited for people to learn more about all of that through the resources you give. So yeah, thank thanks you. Thanks to all of you.